Hello. We interrupt this podcast to remind you about Inroads Ministries' one-year anniversary contest. You have one week from the time this episode goes live to subscribe to the Inroads Ministries newsletter for your chance to win a $25 gift certificate to Cool Stuff, Inc. More details can be found on the Inroads Ministries website. We now return you to your regularly scheduled podcast. Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome back to Game Store Profits, the show where geeks get together to talk about God and God followers get to get there to talk about games, mostly board games, but sometimes not. My name's Luke Navarro. And I'm dealing with a clanky heating system. A clanky heating system. That's that seems appropriate somehow. Seeing as, as the Mr. Steampunk. Yeah, seeing as the apartment that we're in is part of a house that is over a hundred years old and is entirely steam heated. So yeah, occasionally wow. if you're I'm gonna try my best to, to tweak the audio when I edit this, but if randomly throughout this discussion you, you hear clank, 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 yeah, that's just me not freezing to death tonight. That is like like a, an incredible example of the difference between the East Coast and the West Coast. First off, we don't have anything that's 100 years old. So, <laughs> And second off, we don't have cold. So, so what you're telling me is Mike Perna lives in a steam-powered house. Yes, let's go with that, just because I want to be able to say that. Alright, that's pretty awesome, <laughs> man. So what have you been up to? What games have you been playing? I actually, you know, for the the first time I reported on a little game called Star Realms, I didn't have it. I didn't own it, and I was trying to get by on the app that came from the game that I had played and loved. Okay, now remind me, is this the, like a little 16-card game? No, no. Star, no? Realm, okay. Star Realms is basically... Uh, games like Dominion and Ascension. Right, it's a draft game. I knew if, it had something to do with cards. However, it's those games if suddenly, ran, rather than just build up your forces and deal with it and kind of be your own little world, you're building a fleet of spaceships to shoot somebody. That's Star Realms. That's better. Okay. I mean, I'd definitely rather be in a spaceship shooting somebody than killing, what is it, an Ascension? I don't even know what those, like, demon <laughs> things or something. I yeah. Don't... So, I, I got to play that, uh, the actual physical copy of the game, because a buddy of mine who heard me talk about it decided that he was going to up and buy it for me. So now I have my own copy of Star Realms. We like friends. I love my friends. They're just awesome. Yeah, so I got to play that. The other thing I can say, I, I haven't played, but I'm preparing to play. <laughs> okay, that that does narrow it down a little bit. <laughs> you can already tell that, that this is not so much talking about a, a, a board game, because if it was a board game, maybe it would be like Twilight Imperium or something. But uh, actually going to get a... I'm going to run a role-playing game. I've been playing in a bunch. We have our play-by-post, right. and we're doing inroads plays, and I have my own personal game that I'm playing in. So my life is filled with role-playing games, but... I've just been feeling that 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 DM itch. Like I need to be creating worlds and I need to have people play in them. So, I gathered a handful of my buddies together and asked them what they wanted to play out of the systems that I have, and I am happy to kind of bring to you guys the fact that finally, finally, I'm going to get to play Numenera. All right, so remind us which one that is. Cuz I know I get them confused. Numenera is a, I don't even want to call it science fiction, it's science fantasy, because it crosses that line where, I, I forget who originally made the quote, 
that uh, if technology travels so fast and so advanced, it will eventually become like magic. Right. This is when it actually becomes like magic. It's set about a billion years in the future. If you would consider our time the first world, this is the ninth world. And by this point, technology has run rapid. The world has you know, had cultures rise and fall. This is the ninth time this has happened. Uh, the world is covered with strange mutants and crazy weather and technology that will... <laughs> at any given moment, you can stumble over technology that can destroy the world. So that's always fun. And my guys are going to get to play in this. It'll be my my first time running a Numenera game, so I'm very excited about that. And yeah, that's probably going to happen next month we're going to start. And we'll go once a month just playing around in this science fantasy wonderland. <laughs> Very cool. But yeah, so that the the foundation has been laid on that. So hopefully I'll be able to talk more about that later. Everything else I've been talking, I, I, I've been playing has been video games and the like. So how about you tell me what, what you've been putting to the, on the table recently? I've, I did play a couple games this week. The first one, I don't remember if we've talked about on the show before, because, folks, we've done enough of these now that, frankly, I've lost track. Yeah. Uh, and that's a game called Cash and Guns. I don't... If we've mentioned Cash and Guns, it is literally a mention. So tell the people okay. about Cash and Guns. So Cash and Guns, you are a... like a mob gang, mafia kind of thing. And each round, uh, there is loot uh, laid out. And the gameplay is that you have uh, uh, a foam pistol and eight rounds represented by cards in your hand, uh, three of which are bangs, which means you shoot, and five of which are clicks, which means you were just bluffing. Each turn, one player plays as the godfather, and he says, okay, put out your, your, uh, your bullet, your round, your ticket, your card, and then one, two, three, everybody points their gun at somebody. And at that point, you have a choice. You have choices to make. The decision as to whether the trigger has been pulled has already been made. So now you're looking around, trying to decide, should I, uh, you know, make it through this Mexican standoff, or should I just uh, back hit down. the dirt? <laughs> right. Uh, so you can, uh, the next stage is called Courage. So you can either keep, stay standing, or you can hit the dirt. If you hit the dirt, you're not going to get shot, but you also don't have access to the loot. Um, so, you know, if you're playing with a group of, I don't I think we had six people, eight people, something like that, and five people are pointing at you, you might consider hitting the dirt. Uh, you do get three wounds, and then you're out of the game. Um, and this continues. Uh, one of the pieces of loot every single round is called the Godfather's Desk or the Mob Boss <laughs> Desk, something like that. And it basically assigns you the Godfather position if you claim that piece of loot. Uh, each character has a certain special ability. They're all very random. Um, I, and... I love I love the Godfather's special power. And then there is the Godfather's special power, which means you can look at one person and say, no, you're not shooting who you're shooting. 
you gotta shoot somebody else. <laughs> Turn that Which gun away from me. <laughs> often, if it's you know pointing at you, uh, then you know you you don't want that. So um, that is the game. You play. You continue through the rounds. You're gathering uh, either cash. Uh, there's also jewelry that has a special bonus for whoever has the most jewelry at the end of the game. And there is art. And art is an exponential growth. If you have one piece of art, it's not worth very much. If you have two, it's worth a decent amount. If you have three, it's worth a whole lot. If you have ten, it's worth, like, bazillions. Um, And then there are some special things. You can get some extra bullets. You can get some extra health. That kind of thing. And uh, you go around, you play through eight rounds, and whoever survives, whoever has the most money of those who survive the game, wins. Um, Very much a party kind of a game. Um... It's uh, it's definitely a party game because one of the rules is is that if you're actually going to shoot somebody, you have to yell out bonsai. You know, and <laughs> it's... Our playthrough was weird. Okay. Was what was weird about it? Um, you know, there was a lot of, hey man, I want to play this game, don't kill me kind of stuff. Um, and it just didn't, it didn't work with our group. Wow, yeah, that you've picked the wrong game if that's your attitude. Yeah, so I, did, I didn't have a great time with it, though I could see how maybe a little whiskey would help. <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, you need to be in that kind of mood. Luke, are you calling for a little social lubricant on your social game? You know, I, I'm cons- all, all the time. Whiskey never is out of place. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was Cash and Guns. Um, let's see, what else have I played? this? Uh, played a little game that... It's been around for a long time, but I don't think I've ever talked about it, but you might have, called Jiper. I've never even heard of it, so please Okay, Jiper is a two-player game, very fast. Uh, The theme of the game is like an Arab trading caravan kind of thing, though frankly the theme is meaningless. Um, There's five cards laid out in the center. Each person has a hand, and you are essentially doing set collection. Um, at any given time, you can trade in your cards, their cards of different colors, um, to purchase tokens of those same colors. The first person to purchase those tokens gets a little bit more value because the tokens go down in value as you move down. You play through a whole bunch of rounds, um, and then you're done. Whoever has the most at the end wins. Yeah, there are a few other little things in there, but I don't think they're all that terribly important. Uh, this is the perfect game for when a couple goes skiing and the power goes out. Ah, okay. And they just need something to do. You know, it's a quick sort of... It's like a, like Boggle or Yahtzee. You know, it, it's not an incredibly in-depth game, but it's a game where you can just kind of boom, 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 keep playing it, keep playing it, keep playing it, and it's kind of fun and you just keep going. One of those games where it's not exactly exciting enough for you to actively look for, but if it's right. there and you've got nothing better to do, it's exactly. worth playing. Yes, it's like totally the kind of game, like, it, if you live in California and there's no snow, and you go to a bed and breakfast in Napa, this kind of game should be on the, the shelf at the bed and breakfast where they have the games that you can play. Well, alright then. Yep. That's certainly... Kind of an endorsement. You know what? Hey, there are games for every situation. Yep. You know, and that this 
the kind of game that that works for that. The other the reason I played it was because we're there and the rest of the group isn't there yet. And they're going to be there in five minutes. Right. Well, we can sit here and talk, or wait, let's just crank out a game really quick because it literally only takes like five minutes. Um, nice. The next game I played uh, is a game called uh, Cyclades. Ah, yes. Those of you who have a little history knowledge, you know, the Cyclades were some islands in the Mediterranean in Greece. Um, and it is a area control game. Um, Filled with ancient a... Greek myth. Yes. Ah, well, of course. Um, so each character uh, starts off with two islands. Each player starts off with two islands. Uh, and I, you have two troop types. They are uh, soldiers and boats. And basically the, the goal of the game is to create two metropoli. And you create two metropoli. You can create a metropoli in one of two ways. You can either build four buildings, which are represented by four gods that I'll get to in a minute, or you can recruit four priests, if you recruit uh, philosophers. Think the philosophers. You recruit four philosophers, you get a metropolis. So, and the first player to get two metropoli wins. Now, the interesting bit of the game is that there is, there are four gods, well, technically there are five gods, uh, and at any given point, there are uh, well, there are five gods. One is like a minor god who doesn't really do much, but he's always in play. And of the other four gods, Zeus, Poseidon, Ares, and Athena, um, three of those are always in play. So what then happens is you bid to use the gods' powers. So each of the gods has it. So. For example, Ares, I think you can probably guess what Ares does. He lets you, he gives you troops and lets you fight. Okay? Uh, Poseidon, it's the same, he gives you boats and lets you move boats around. Athena gives you philosophers, which are necessary for going that path to win the game. And Zeus gives you priests. And what priests do is interesting. It allows you to reduce by one the cost of all of your bidding. So... Uh, bidding is extremely important. Uh, you get income each turn based on how much land you have. There are other ways to increase the income. Finally, oh, I'm sorry. There's also uh, I think it's Apollo, um, who you, you and you get Apollo basically when you've been outbid by so much and you don't have enough money to keep bidding, and so you get stuck with Apollo. And he gives you a little bit of cash and uh, gives you a little bit of resources, but. He, you're not allowed to do anything cool. Finally, if you get, if you win the bid on one of the four major gods, you also have the opportunity to buy a monster. And there are a whole series of monsters in the game, a few of which have really awesome little figures that go along with them. Um, and they do all kinds of things. For example, someone decided that the Hydra, uh, no, it was the Kraken, uh, needed to smash my navy. Yay. Um, <laughs> there was a, a giant who would hurl boulders at boats. Pretty cool. Um, let's see, what are some of the others? Uh, there, are, there are several that don't actually have figures because they just do a quick effect. They don't need to actually be placed on the board. Um, and uh, you, you keep going until somebody wins the game. Um, 
you know, it's a fun little game. Uh, it's area control, but it's not super, super deep. Um, but it's not like, you know, risk level simple. You do have some abilities, and by, by using the abilities, oh, and I forgot to mention, each of the buildings you buy also give you some slight slight ability, so you're, you are improving uh, your troops, you're improving your position. Um, the one thing I will say, though, is that combat is really slow. Because, in order to attack from one island to another, sorry, I guess I didn't mention, the board is a series of islands with water spaces between them. In order to attack from island to island, you have to have a line of boats uh, between the spaces. And you can only move your boats when you have Poseidon, when you have bid for Poseidon. So, for somebody to set up an attack takes quite takes literally you know three or four or five turns, because you've got to get the troops from Ares, you've got to get the boats from Poseidon, you've got to move the boats into position from Poseidon. You know, it, it could take a really long time for that to happen. So it turns out that the the core of the game is not really about the area control, it's about resource management and bidding. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's Cyclades. Yeah, I, I've been really interested in Cyclades, one, because I'm a huge dork when it comes to <laughs> Greek mythology, but also because there's something interesting happened, because after Cyclades, there was uh, a game called Kemet, which is basically also about fighting and area control, but is, is using the Egyptian mythology. I think I've played Kemet. Well, apparently, and I have no idea how this works, so if you're listening and you know how this works, please stop by and comment on something and let me know, because I'm really curious about this. There's actually something that you can buy that lets you use Cyclades, Monsters, and Kemet. Oh, nice. And, and or Kemet, Monsters, and Cyclades. Okay. So I re- I have no idea how that works, and I'm really fascinated by that because the games do seem similar, so it seems like it wouldn't be too much of a stretch. I mean, obviously, it's not entirely the same. There are huge differences, but there's enough similarities that they can kind of be combined, and I'm really fascinated as to how that works. Well, speaking of buying things and combining them, <laughs> uh, I did purchase a game this week. Oh, what's this now? Uh, our local game store got the uh, got the new shipment in, and so there's a lot of new stuff. And it's a game I've been thinking about buying for a long time. And it's Marvel Dice Masters. Oh no! <laughs> oh no, you didn't. So for those of you who don't know, Marvel Dice Masters is actually based on an older game called Couriers. We'll we'll be saying a prayer for Luke's wallet later this evening. Well, hey, I'm gonna get to that. Okay, hold on. Okay, hold on. So, uh, I purchased a starter kit. Uh, as it happens, uh, everybody knows I love Ticket to Ride. I play with our group regularly. Uh, one of the guys there also was, uh, had just recently picked up a starter kit, so we sat down and learned to play together. Um, the starter, the, what this game is, uh, is you collect, uh, it's a collectible dice game. Each character, if you will, comes with uh, a card, and a dice. Okay? The starter kit is a little bit different because it comes with multiple cards, multiple... Anyway, but when you field the character, you field uh, a card and one, two, 
some each character is allowed to have multiple dice. What's unique about it is each die is specialized for the character. So the Hulk has his green dice, and you don't use green dice with Human Torch. Human Torch has a red die, you know. Um, so each character has multiple incarnations of themselves. So you might get three different Hulks. You know, you get Hulk the scientist, you get Hulk the smash, you get Hulk the whatever. And of course there's different rarities, just like you're collecting cards in uh, Magic the Gathering. And you then use dice, and boy, this is going to be hard to explain. I should have thought of this before I did the <laughs> show. Um, so each character, each player then has a bag in which go in, uh, we start off the game with eight what they're called sidekick dice. They're generic white dice that give you different types of energy and can also give you a very weak little character. Uh, you pull out four of those and you begin rolling. And you use the energy to purchase the hero dice. And later on, those hero dice, they work their way into your bag and now you're going to be able to use the hero dice. The hero dice can give you lots of energy. They also have much higher stats, much stronger characters right there on the die. Uh, each character also has special abilities. Finally, there are some common cards that anybody can use called basic action cards uh, that have their own dice that you can purchase and put into your bag. Um, so the whole thing is... Uh, it's all about using it's so it's kind of that that ascension draft mechanic it it's got that kind of uh deck building mechanic you're you're deck building dice instead of cards yeah ga- games like this are why a term is kind of following right behind and in the same neighborhood as deck building called bag building yeah there you go I will say that the starter kit comes with two bags, and they're the most horrifying, <laughs> evil things in the world. I remember when I first saw a review from the uh, from Tom Vaslin, the Dice Tower. He that was basically his thing. He goes, "This is the greatest game ever. I love everything about this game. Get rid of the bags." <laughs> okay, so let's get down to brass tacks because anything that has collectible in it, you got to talk money. Yep, you have to. Starter set, fifteen bucks. Totally normal. Okay, what do you get for that? You get a bunch of comment cards and a whole ton of dice. Okay? So you can totally play with just the starter set. Right? The starter set is just as good as, say, the Netrunner starter set. Okay? But nobody wants to stop with the starter set. You want to get the awesome cards. You want to get the uncommons and the rares and the super rares. Because they're super rares. There's like five of them. There's not very many. So you want to buy boosters. Well, boosters in this game come with two cards and two matching dice. Okay? Here's the cool thing. Boosters are a buck. That's either amazing or just like, give me another hit. (laughs) You know? Thankfully, I don't use cash. I only use credit cards. So I can't just buy one at a time and just keep buying them and buying them and buying them. Um, But then you have the joy of deck creation that you would have in a game like Magic or a game like Netrunner. Um, and so now you, you work on, okay, well, what team members do I, does Does She-Hulk go best with Mystique or uh, Professor X or whatever, you know? 
And so you're building these, and you get a new card, and you're like, ah, oh, that would really go good in my team, and, and you're doing all of this. And so, essentially what Marvel, what this game has done, is grab a bunch of Marvel characters that we all love, take the, like, the mechanics out of Hearthstone and, and uh, Magic and Netrunner that we all love to sit around at home and look at our stuff and figure out how to put it best together, and then the deck building, the bag building mechanic of games like Ascension and 15,000 others, Dominion and which was the one, whatever one we talked about last week that I can't remember and there you go. And you put it all together and it's a lot of fun though you do end up with really a whole lot of dice. Which yeah. is not a bad thing. Yeah. I, uh, I will say in this defense I've, I've heard lots of great things about this game. I've, I know lots of people that say it's a ton of fun. I know that the guys over at Rolling Dice and Taking Names have spent many an episode talking about going in and buying an entire display box. It's on my yeah. Christmas list. I, I know they recently released... I don't know if they... Well, I don't know if it recently released or is about to release, but uh, Uncanny X-Men... Uncanny X-Men just came out. That's that's why like I was like, okay, I'm going to get that. And uh, the Avengers Age of Ultron is coming out, you know, kind of when the movie does. Right. There's lots of reasons that I think that I would enjoy the heck out of this game. But, wow, I really won't allow myself to do that. (laughs) Well, and that's an interesting... I mean, it's a tough one. Because it's not as expensive to keep up with as Magic. It's just... When you look at the economics of it, it's just not. I think also that deck creation or dice creation or bag creation or whatever they call it for this game has really evolved since the early days of collectible card games. Let's just be real honest. Magic is you cannot find new ways to put cards together. You know, there's a very limited number of interactions between cards. Whereas, say, Netrunner, there's like a... You can do a ton of stuff with just the starter set. Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of interesting, innovative ways because the mechanics are different. Because the card powers are different. And so you you have this ability to be a little bit more creative with your deck. Well, in the same way you have the ability to be a little bit more creative with your bag in this game. Yeah, do you want all the cool stuff? It's not a living dice game. It is a collectible dice game. But also, it's just not as expensive as Magic. No, and, and, and I, I will I will bow to that. I, I, I would say that if I was going to get into a collectible thing, that would probably be much more uh, beneficial and preferable to the other collectible stuff that's out there. Right. The... The big thing that gets me is just that I, I don't like the fact that if you get a bad run, you're going to get like 15 of the same crappy dice that you got before. That is true. And the other thing that I don't like, because this has been out for a while. It has. This is like the second edition, second expansion kind of a thing. It was the new hotness for a while to the point that it sold out within days. It did. Avengers versus X-Men was the first set. Don't try to buy those. Yeah, they sold out within days, and people were... were, The game actually had a huge lull simply because... 
people couldn't buy it. I saw a guy selling a starter set on eBay for like $90. They're still 50 bucks. The Avengers versus uh, X-Men starter set are still 50 bucks. Right. And But what I heard was from people who were playing it was that if you got your starter set and if you were keeping up with the boosters, at some point there are certain cards that if you get these combinations, you will win. This is always true. And, you know, that argument can be made over a number of different games, but holy cow, I do not want a collectible game that will be siphoning my wallet to have a win feature. Okay, so <laughs> here's, the, here's uh, kind of my response to that. We need to have a different mindset toward these games. Magic has sort of set the tone, and it's turned it into a competitive game. And when you're playing a competitive game, you're constantly looking for the win button. It's just natural. See, the way I am playing this game is I've got a couple of buddies who play that I already get to get together with on a regular basis. And we are already hanging out at the game store together on a regular basis. And I can drop a couple of bucks, support the game store, and not need to keep up with everybody else. You know, anybody I know who plays Magic and loves it, this is what they say. I've still got the same cards I had ten years ago, and it's still fun to play with them. I think that's an important mindset when dealing with anything like this. Because yeah. otherwise, otherwise it just becomes ridiculous. Ridiculous, right? And you do, you do not want to catch the, the meme, right? Yeah, for sure. So I, I think there is plenty. Like from what I've heard about this game, like I've wanted to pick up couriers before, and I, I think there is a lot of fun to be had in Dice Masters. I I think, you know, we were talking about this a while ago with with Machi Koro. Like, Machikoro has a win, according to you anyway, from your experience, there's a winning combination. If you get this, you will probably win. Right. But as a filler game, we go, you know what? Yeah, that's there, but it's fun. It's light. It's whatever. Who cares? It's it's an, a good time. And I, I don't know anybody, even with that identified, who will say Machikoro is a, a really bad game. They still think it's a lot of fun, even if they identify that, that win condition. Right. So there is something to be said about that. The, again, this is me personally. The big thing for me is, is that I don't want that in a collectible game. I, I already, especially because I already have Netrunner. I already have freaking Doomtown. Right. See, I don't. I don't have any collectible game. The only kind of card games I play, living card games, are solo games. Right. Uh, and so for me, this is, a, 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 I think, a possibility. I mean, I'll report back in a month or so about how I feel about the game. But for right now, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy the mechanics. And for something that, you know, you just sit down with the same dude and play the same game every week, that's cool. Like, I totally agree with you. I would not want to go to organized play. And see, if probably, you know, as much as I'm arguing that I wouldn't do it, if I had three or four buddies who were really into it and wanted to play, I'd probably pick up a starter set. Right. I'd probably go hunting for Nightcrawler and Beast because that's who I am. Right. But, you know, I don't. And I think that's the big thing. You know, it's it's well, just we, having those those people. Well, we have said so many times before. Literally last episode. <laughs> there are so many games like this. And, you know, Wargaming is, is huge this way. You have to have the community. 
Right. And the community can be two guys. Or right. Girls. But, uh, you know, in fact, in a game like this, I think it's better with a handful of people than with, you know, a whole store full. Right. Uh, because then you get the, the hype and the energy and the, the, the everybody's got to win and you got to fight and you got to play. Speaking of, I have an interesting story I want to uh, discuss <laughs> on the show today. Oh, interesting uh, does not begin to describe <laughs> what this is. So, uh, again, I already mentioned on the show, Ticket to Ride is my bag. It's my game. I love this game. Okay? I know. It's not the most spectacular game in the world. I don't care. I, I really love this game. And I get together with the same group of guys just about every week, and we play this game, and we play it through, and we love it. There is an entirely different way to play Ticket to Ride. So you got to understand, when we sit down and we play... We're playing to win, but we are gentlemanly about it. But there's an entirely different way to play. And people with this different personality. Uh, there's a very cutthroat way to play. You're intentionally blocking people. You're making it hard. Um, and there is even a tournament scene for Ticket to Ride. If you've ever been to any convention anywhere that has anything to do with geekery, it has a Ticket to Ride tournament. Right. It's just, you know, there's a Settler Catan tournament, there's a Carcassonne tournament, and there's a Ticket to Ride tournament at every gaming convention ever. And uh, the official tournament has happened recently, and a champion was named. The world champion of Ticket to Ride. And shortly thereafter, the world champion of Ticket to Ride was unnamed. Because he got caught cheating. Cheating at a board game. Now, che- Cheating at a very simple board game. Now, look, I know, every last one of us who was an older sibling cheated like Cheater McCheaterson at, on Monopoly when you were playing with your younger sibling. It's just the way the, the, the world works. But this guy, and I don't know, I haven't really looked into it. I'm sure there was, uh, actually, I do remember what the prize was. The prize was a vacation. It was like a trip on a train to, like, uh, I think it was actually on the Orient Express. So, I mean, it's a cool prize and all that. But, you know, I don't think we've ever talked about on this show cheating. Because it's really, really easy to do in board games. Really easy to do. Like, oh, I just moved my piece a little bit to the next thing, and oh, look, now I have ten extra points. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and certainly most board game design does not take anti-cheating into account. What do you think about this, man? Uh, you know, I think it goes, it, oddly enough, I think it will go back to some of the same arguments we had about the Marvel Dice Masters. I, I think that it all comes down to the attitude in which you come to this game. Now, granted, the, the competitive nature of this and the fact that, like, if in order to compete at the championship, the championship was held in France. And they sent you there if you won your local right. variant of the contest. So, free trip to France does seem pretty nice. But... I, I think there's that, that mentality that I have to win this. I have to win this and I have to make sure that I'm the one at the end of this game that comes out ahead. 
and you know i think that destroys a lot of the beauty of gaming and and i'm not the first i'm not the person who's going to say you know we shouldn't have a competitive scene are you kidding me the reason netrunners is as big as it is is because of the competitive scene right now so the, i think we do need to define exactly where we're talking about because you're right this was a tournament okay that's a tiny tiny portion of gaming right right it's an anomaly essentially now there are games where competitiveness is inherent in the game like you were talking about with netrunner um you know it's a one-on-one it's a you know board game sport right and then there are games that even if they're one-on-one games but certainly group games where yeah somebody's gonna win obviously to us what's more interesting is not you know how do people behave on a tournament scene because frankly they're a tiny little population and you know what there is sort of that old saying if you ain't cheating you ain't trying you know um but what about on our local scene where we're playing games with people all the time first off let's talk about competition because board games are inherently competitive. I guess there are cooperative board games, but but for the most part, most board games, there's a winner and there's four or five or six losers. Um, are you a competitive player? No. Not even kind of... My, I would not be in this hobby if I was competitive in, to the level that we're talking about. Like I don't, I w- I don't necessarily mean to the, that, the level where you're going to cheat. I just mean... When you sit down, do you play to win? No. Well, and again, that's that's what I was thinking about. I'm not talking about the whole cheating aspect. I'm talking about that I play games to win. I do in the fact that I want to play the game well. Right. When I sit at that table, I'm not holding back. I don't, you know, pull punches or anything like that. But at the same point, if if I lose the game... It's not that big a deal to me. It does not in any way sully my experience. Right. Because some of my favorite games I'm horrible at. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, I won't shut up about City of Remnant lately. And, oh my goodness, I'm horrible at that. I think I've brought that, every time I've brought it to the table, at best I've gotten second place. I don't think I've ever won my copy of City of Remnant. But it's still one of my favorite games ever. So, I... I don't know. To, to me, the whole mindset of I must win this game for it to be fun, just it defeats the purpose. But then again, I also understand that I, I'm kind of a, an outlier when it comes to, to board games because I, you know, most people when they talk board games talk about how cool the game is. I talk about how cool the experience of gaming is. And that might seem like a fine line, but I think it's an important one. So I don't know. For me, it's not that big a deal. You know, after I saw this, I really stopped and said, okay, well, what about, how do I feel about this in terms of, am I competitive? And like you, I'm not going to pull any punches. We, you and I, and, any, and really anybody who has a regular gaming group, a weekly gaming group, we kinda, that's sort of a different position. Uh, like, I literally play hundreds of games a year. And so I do have a certain skill set at board games, you know, and sometimes that just shows itself in the fact that I can play a game that I've never even seen before and understand it and play it better than most other people when they are playing the game for the first time. I do win a lot, but it's it's really just because I play a ton of board games. And because we do this show and we do inroads, I think about a ton of board games. Right. 
It's it's nothing more than, you know, the guy who goes to the driving range three times a week is probably a better golfer than me. Because I don't like golf that much, but I, I don't practice. And so, but then I, th- I, I think about it in terms of like, well, what is that, how does that affect the fun that everybody else is having? And, you know, often I'll talk about games, and when I'm reviewing a game, one of the things I don't like about the game is that it's very difficult for new players to pick up. And yes, there's the argument that, well, then that's just for more seasoned players who can enjoy the depth. Well, okay, that's true. But but I don't enjoy games where you have to be a gamer to get it. And to me, that's not necessarily competitiveness. It's it's more like experience level in gaming. Because like, like you, I'm not the kind of guy who's like going to be cutthroat. And going to be pushing hard to win the game. I'm just trying to experience the game as best as I can. And because the games are designed to be won or lost, playing it, trying to do as as good as you can, is experiencing it the way the game was meant to be experienced. That said, you know, I do wonder, like, what would happen if somebody in our game group was cheating? I don't know that it would ever happen. I mean, I suppose somebody someday would show up and try to cheat. Right? But there's not a lot of cheating in the community. Well, I think you just nailed it right there just by even saying that word. In the community. Because, especially when you have a regular gaming group, if you get caught cheating, and then you show up next week, no one's going to want to play with you. Right. Because... No one wants to to have to deal with the fact that that you're putting the game so at at such a high priority level that you're willing to just like step on people to get to the win. Like nobody wants to play with that guy. So I I think just the the sheer closeness of the community it kind of weeds that stuff out. Like I have a funny feeling there'd be a higher level of of cheating and underhandedness and cutthroat. When you're going in, like, say it is, whether it's a tournament or even just, you know, you're visiting, you know, family and you happen to stop in to this local gaming store when, when you know, you're leaving town tomorrow. I have a funny feeling there'd be a lot higher percentage of a chance to get that kind of behavior happening. But when you're there and it's the same people that you're going to see, or at least most of the same people you're going to see week after week after week. You don't want to screw with that because it just means there's going to be fewer people that want to play with you. Right. Well, and I think you can even expand that further into the convention scene. Yeah, there's a whole lot of people there that you're never going to see again. But if you go to the same convention two, three, four years in a row, you start to know the people who are going there. Oh, yeah. You know what game store they come from. You know you know what kind of games they like. And, and it's all about reputation. Right. Right? And if you have a bad reputation, whether it's because you cheated or just because you're not a very fun person to be around, uh, you're going to not have as much fun because people aren't going to want to play with you. In the same way that you're probably not going to have as much influence on that person's life because they don't enjoy you. Right. You know, a big part of 
of being a good witness is being somebody who people would want to spend more than five minutes with. (laughs) Um, What a concept. (laughs) Which uh, sometimes is not the case. Now, speaking of things that you want, you don't want to spend more than five minutes with, I know you've had an interesting run of games lately. Yes. You you've uh you've got those games that are the they're the Schindler's list of games. <laughs> right? The, I I've been on a run of these games that whether it's role playing games or board games or video games, they're the type of game that you can't I can't describe them as fun. It's <laughs> not a good way to start. It's a it's a horrible it's a horrible word. You cannot use fun to describe these games. But they're, they they cross some kind of border along the way and skip right past fun and into important. And granted, you're going to have fun with these. Like, like there's fun to be had. I, I don't want to completely undersell that. Uh, you know, they are still games. But there's enough other stuff going on that you're just like, wow, this, like, hurts. But I want to keep doing it. We mentioned one a while ago. Papers, please. Right. I also think about Underground Railroad that you've mentioned. Freedom the Underground Railroad, when you start really... I mean, I wrote an article about it for the site. When you start really thinking about what these cubes are and what happens when they become lost and what happens, all the, the, the political stuff just trying to get cubes to the border. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Read my article, The Weight of Our Histories, because I, I could spend forever on the Underground Railroad. These games, there's fun to be had, but it's just, oh, the, the weight of the stuff that you're dealing with. Recently, and I'm looking forward to this, because apparently, like, five of us all hit the tavern with this link at the same time. <laughs> I think I think Grant, from over at Saving the Game, was the first one to actually post it, and then the rest of us just kind of piled on his link. Shut Up and Sit Down did a review of a game that got kickstarted in 2012 called Dog Eat Dog. And Dog Eat Dog is a role-playing game. And most of the people will be playing as natives. And the other person is playing as a colonizer. (laughs) This is a game about colonialism at its finest. And by finest, I mean awfulest. You start out with there's only one rule. The natives are inferior to the colonists. And what happens is, is that the colonists will have... They'll, they'll, there's some reason that the colonists want to be there. They're either going to be warlike and they just want to conquer, or they're businessmen who are just trying to get to the land to get the materials in the land. They're, you know, they might have you know noble intentions like, yeah, we're totally just explorers. Or if you really want to get hardcore in the awkward, painful, we're <laughs> missionaries here to share the love of Jesus. If you stop dressing like you do start worshiping jesus the way we tell you to do it and completely take on our language and customs that's the kind of stuff that happens in this game dog eat dog the way that the natives win is by appeasing the colonists enough that they just have to leave they're done with you and you're basically left with this feeling of what did it cost us to get this win because every round of actions will add another new rule you can't lie to the colonists you must defer to the colonists you must give them whatever they ask for 
every round adds a new rule. And if you break those rules, you might end up dead. And wow. <laughs> Just wow. The game, you know, the video game that I just, I literally just got done playing an hour and a half worth before we, before we started recording tonight is a game that just came out today. It's called This War of Mine. And This War of Mine is, it's bleak, it's dark, and I will tell you that it's one of the most gorgeous things I've played in a long time. It's been the first thing that's really gotten me excited about a video game in ages. It's the the whole storyline of this war of mine is is that you are you start off as three guys in the middle of a war zone. You are not soldiers, you are not generals, you are not the leaders of governments. You are three guys who are just trying to survive. You are refugees in a war zone with no power, no water, no food, and you just have to survive. And there's random stuff that will happen. There will be guys who will come up to try and barter stuff. There will be people who will ask you, Hey, if one of you guys can come with me, I, you know, I need help you know, boarding up my windows so that my daughter and I will be safe. There are... You go on scavenging missions and it's quite possible that you might have a shovel and another guy that's also looting that location has a hunting rifle and you don't walk away from that one. And then you you start realizing this is based off of real life situations. Um, in the very trailer for this video game, they talk to a refugee from uh, the conflict in Sarajevo. So this is is at least partially based on real life experiences and real life people who live in the middle of a war zone and what that looks like. And it's not—it's not a video game about glory and honor and victory. It's about surviving in devastation. Isn't it interesting that the other another game that came out uh, in the last two weeks is Call of Duty? Yes, <laughs> Call of Duty, where you have the newest one has like exoskeletons and you're jumping and jetpacks and whatever. Yeah, but all of the Call of Duty stories are you know this crazy over the top blowing up New York kind of super soldier stories. There was one of them that opened up with a nuclear bomb. So yeah. Yeah. And the, the difference between the two, I mean, you know, you can juxtapose them in a lot of ways, the giant triple a super monster money maker versus the little tiny kind of indie game, you know, and, and all of that, the kickstarted game that, but, but just putting those two side by side and saying, look, which one matters more? Right. Is it the one that's going to sell? you know, millions of copies and make billions of dollars? Or is it the one that, you know, a hundred thousand people are going to play, maybe? Um, but says something. And, you know, I think it's interesting that video games have evolved to the point where they'd say something. Board games have come to the point where they say something. And people who want to argue that these are just silly things... They're just time wasters or worse. You know, they'll destroy you or whatever. Um, they don't know that these things exist. Right. You know, and and they're never, they may never know because they never want to look. They never want to hear. But those of us in the community know that we're not all just 
blowing stuff up and you know moving soldiers across the field that that like any group of people we like to have fun we like to enjoy crazy stuff but also we can get real real serious at times um you know we've talked a, a whole lot about how gaming can inform us um you know, we talk about it in our role-playing games. Uh, but I, I think a game like this, or a game like Papers, Please, um, you know, it's not maybe not going to change the world, but it might change a few minds just a little bit. I, I will tell you that playing Freedom of the Underground Railroad will, will make you think if you actually are interacting with the medium. Like, a lot of times people will talk about movies and TV shows and everything, and say that you can just passively, mindlessly experience some of these, and they'll be fine. You won't miss out on anything. You, you'll you'll have a good time. But I'm I'm definitely in the camp that says that you should never, ever, passively just experience media. It, it you shouldn't do it because you miss out on what really matters. And there'll be times when you'll think, oh, that thing's just stupid or this thing's just a waste. But this is stuff that gets to the core of us. This is stuff that digs deep. And there will always be people who will just say, oh, yeah, whatever, just throw it to the wind and just do whatever you want. And there will be games like like that. And there will be... TV shows and movies. We have how many Transformers movies now? <laughs> there will be stuff like that, but there is a time to just really to dissect and to experience and to get yourself dirty in the life stuff that this that all these sorts of media deal with. And yeah, if if you if you play a game like Papers Please and you just play it, it's dull. If you play Freedom the Underground Railroad and just move cubes, it's mildly entertaining. Right. But if you look at what those cubes mean, if you're playing Dog Eat Dog and you're playing the native and you want to rise up and take over the colonists, but then you realize doing so means you die, your family dies, and the natives will be forever lost. Suddenly you start realizing, oh, this is how oppression happens, isn't it? This isn't just about why didn't somebody stand up and be the hero. This is heavy stuff, and it's happening in real life. I I think games have the ability, like movies, like TV shows, like books, they have the ability to be what 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 Neil Gaiman talks about when you know when he talks about fairy tales fairy tales are truer than true you know the the concept that they they can tell us things but you cover them in story and you cover them in mechanics and you cover them in game theme and suddenly they become more palatable and when they become more palatable they become something that we consume and when we consume them that's when we get changed looking at the the theme i suppose themes of this episode you know, we realize two things. One, that what we play can really make a difference in, in who we are and how we experience the world. 
but then also how we play can make a huge difference in how we experience the world and how we interact with those around us. And, you know, we've preached from the very beginning of this show that, that this stuff matters. It has meaning and power. And I think we showed that today. And, you know, I think about games like this and I think, do I want to play that? <laughs> you know, and it's just kind of the same. Like, I don't ever want to watch Schindler's List again, but I'm sort of glad that I did once. Right. Well, and, and I will tell you, at least when it comes to the game stuff, there are there are games that I really enjoyed, big budget, major things, and I've put them away and I don't want to pick them up again. But I will tell you what, to this day I'll still play Papers, Please. Yeah. The the crappy graphics and all that stuff, I will still play it. Right. Well, man, I think uh, we left folks with some things to think about this time. As always... We want you to share with us what you're thinking. The best way to do that is to go to our Facebook page, The Tavern. Go to our website, inroadsministries.com. Go to the podcast website, gamestoreprofits.com. Look around, click on things, connect with us. Lots of ways to do it. Um, And as always, we say that God is the Game Master, and no matter how the dice fall, the game plays on.